Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Good morning. I look up at the clock and I see it's 10.45, and I know that that's when uh, sometimes we finish. And so if you, if you do want to leave or need to leave, uh, you're very welcome to. But do remember, after this, there is a, a community morning tea here. So I'll try and speak a little bit faster. Um, but yeah, if you do need to go, you're very welcome. I remember my very first O week uh, at Auckland University. I, I started my training there, which was um, foolish and expensive. Uh, but my first O-Week, Orientation Week, the week where you get your books in class, but you really don't go to class um, because everything is happening outside. All the clubs, all the groups, everyone looking for, fresh, uh, for students to sign up, to support them, to pay money, to allow them to keep existing. And there's, there was this fascinating melting pot of all the different uh, communities of university come together. You had the, the Gothic group. You had the Emos. You had the brass band people, you had the Christian groups, you had the weird Christian groups, you had the sports teams, you had the drinking clubs, you had the best club of all, which was the meat club, pay $5 for multiple barbecues a year. The people who dressed up like they lived in medieval times and they put on fake jousting contests and jewels, everyone was together. And this was O-Week. And for a young, impressionable, just finished school and not knowing who I was, but searching for a purpose and an identity, 18-year-old, this was everything I could have wanted. And so in between class, or sometimes in the middle of class, I'd walk around looking, looking for who I could be, looking for a group uh, to absorb me. And, and the Gothic group actually approached me, which probably speaks to more about what I looked like and dressed like then. Um, but they asked me if I was interested, but I had dreams. I had dreams of being a jock. And my history tutor at the time was the coach of the ice hockey team. And between talking to him and seeing how cool they were, me and my friend Jeff signed up to play ice hockey. And we found out the details, and then like a newly independent young man, went home and asked mum to borrow some money to get some ice hockey equipment, which thankfully she said yes to. And I remember having a conversation with my mentor from church, Blair. He was a little bit older than me, kind of like a big brother, a mentor type person, and we were discussing me joining the group, uh, which I knew was really just a bunch of guys who hung out at the bar, um, watching hockey, and then playing on weekends. And this raised a little red flag for Blair, but I was like, no, Blair, this is a mission field. Don't you understand? I could share my faith with these people. I could be Jesus on skates, you know? And he gave me that look. You know the one. You parents definitely know the one. The look that says, there's no convincing you here, and I'll be here for you when you learn the lesson. And so off I went, and I joined the team. And there were highs and there were lows. The first two years, they were wonderful. They were incredible. Um, I had friends. I had purpose. I had success on and off the ice. But I hadn't done any mission work. That's, that's training ground, right? There's three years at least. And, and then in my third year, I got traded from my team, which was kind of cool because that made me feel a little bit more American. I traded to the team that had just won the, the title, traded to a, a team that had just been promoted into um, our grade. And, and that was fine. Um, we were okay. We got better through the year. And then it came to the final series, 
which is, you know, where glory happens. And, and we got to the semifinals, and it was our team versus number three. It was two versus three. And I invited all my friends along, my friends from church, my friends from not church. Um, but I thought, come along. This might be my last game. This might be where we get eliminated. There was no way we were being eliminated. We are not losing to the third-place team. But, but they'll be sucked in, and they'll come and watch me win the final the following week. This is, this is just more glory. And, and, and so... They come along, and there's about 30 of my friends in the stands, like making noise, cheering, probably hoping for a win, definitely hoping for a fight. And then in the first period, we're down 1-0. I'd been beaten uh, over my blocker side uh, on a breakaway when our captain, our captain, our best line in ice hockey, you play five on five, and our best line gave the puck away, and this dude skates down the ice, and he comes straight at me, and he hits it over my blocker side, and, and we're down 1-0, and that, that wasn't very good. And the period ended 1-0. And then in the second period, the exact same thing happens. It's the same line. It's my captain again passing the, the puck across the blue line. And the guy intercepts it, comes down, and shoots it over my blocker side. And now it's 2-0. And this is awful. This is in front of all my people. And then near the second, end of the second period, there's the team talk going on. And I'm just standing over here kind of on my own, getting my head back in the game, which is what goalies do. And the captain skates over. And no doubt, the captain is about to apologize for how poorly he's played, for putting us in a hole um, and saying, you're, you're doing great, Shannon. You're keeping us in this. This is what he's coming to say. And he looks at me and said, you're letting us down. You're costing us this game. Pick your game up, Shannon. You're costing us this game. And my heart sunk. This was, this was my purpose. This was my belonging. These were my people. And we were losing, and, and, the, and the captain's saying, it's on me. And five minutes into the third period, you're never going to believe what happened. The captain passes the puck across the blue line. The same dude intercepts the puck, comes skating down, and shoots it over my blocker side. And it's 3-0. And while I'm still on the ice, on my knees, I'm really annoyed at God. What are you doing, God? I've got all my people here and you're embarrassing me. What are you doing, God, letting this happen? What are you doing, God? And this voice came booming into my helmet and I'll never forget it. What are you doing, Shannon? What are you doing? And I knew in that moment that everything I had been pursuing, the identity I'd been looking for, the purpose I'd been looking for, the friendship I'd been looking for, the glory I'd been looking for, everything that I had tried to build in these last few years was coming tumbling around me. And I was mad at one thing. I was mad at God. I was mad at the one thing, the one person who could have given me all those things I was looking for. But I'd given up everything to do with God to seek glory and purpose and belonging. I've gone to the occasional Sunday service. You know, you've got to keep up appearances, right? You've got to keep up appearances. But I've given up the church. I've given up pursuing God to pursue what I wanted. And it was all tumbling around me in front of all of my friends and family who were here because I wanted them to see me chase glory. What are you doing, Shannon? This week we are in our final week of the letter to the churches of Revelation. And today we are writing, uh, reading the letter to the church in Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, 
I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you, buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And again, this letter, it starts with an introduction from Jesus, because this is about Jesus, and this is about Jesus' message to his churches. This is the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. These titles to this last church, to the seventh church, are Jesus once more declaring his sovereignty, his faithfulness, and his power to bring all things to proper completion. This is what he means when he says, I am the amen. This is a reminder, when he says, I'm the beginning or the source of God's creation, the people who heard that would think back to the start of John's gospel in John 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The Eternal Son, the one who was there at the beginning with God, the Eternal Son became flesh, and He was born as Jesus. He was there at the beginning, and He will be the one to bring things to its proper completion. He brings life. He brings purpose. He brings completion. This is who He was saying He was for the church and Laodicea, this is who he is for the church today. Now, Laodicea was a rich city. It was wealthy. It sat at the junction between three of the other major cities of the empire, 55-ish kilometers southeast from Philadelphia, and, in, and right in the middle of the east-to-west line from Ephesus to Antioch. And Laodicea it had a medical school there, and that specialized in treatment for the eyes. Laodicea was also known as a throne city. The Romans had elevated this city to that status because of one of its, one of its um, townsfolk, Zeno, one of the citizens who had led resistance against the invasion from Parthicus. So Zeno and his family ruled in some measure over the next century. It was his face on the coins. It was his throne that was the seat of power in the city. Laodicea had a wonderful wool trade. They had the right climate that allowed a breed of sheep to thrive that produced a soft black wool. I imagine it's like our merino sheep in the South Island. The Roman Empire used this wool to produce garments, the sleeved tunic and the hooded cloak. Laodicean woolen clothes were known to be some of the elite designer clothes of the empire. The church here was closely connected to the church in Colossae, an easy 16-kilometer run away. Uh, we know that from reading the letter to the Colossians that the church in Laodicea was also meant to be read that letter. And that Paul also wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea. And some commentators suggest that parts of this letter might be parts of the letter to Ephesus as well. Or they could at least have very similar messages. The other close location of note 
for Laodicea were the white cliffs of Hierapolis, about six miles north. That was important because Colossae had a great water supply, and Hierapolis also had a great water supply. Colossae had wonderful, crisp, cool waters. And Hierapolis, it had a nearby mineral hot spring. But Laodicea didn't have this natural water supply. Water was piped in from a Roman-built aqueduct at the springs to the south. And by the time it reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This first message to the church speaks straight to them. They know what lukewarm water is. They live with it. They receive it. They see the cliffs to the north where they could go on a day trip and, and they could bathe and relax in these natural hot springs. Or in summer, they could go to Colossae and cool off, relax and enjoy the drinking of this pure, cool water. But their supply, their water supply was lukewarm. It was useless. It wasn't fit for purpose. It was too, gold, too cold to bathe in it's too cold to enjoy a good coffee with. It's too hot to drink to cool off. It's useless. It's not fulfilling its purpose. And Jesus is saying to the church, you're just like this lukewarm water. You're not fulfilling your purpose. You're not doing what you're meant to be. You're useless to me. Jesus is imploring the church to do what it was meant to do, to be who it was meant to be. Find your purpose. And once you've found your purpose, Live your purpose. Be who I have created you to be. We remember in the, in the letter to Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, not the letter to Ephesus in Revelation, Paul writes of the church, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So often today, we read Scripture as an individual letter to me or to you. And I'm not convinced that's necessarily a bad thing, but if we only ever read it as a letter to individually me, we, we miss the richness of the letter being written to the collective church. We miss the true audience of the letter. The church, the collective group of followers who come together to live with each other, to support each other, to love and build each other up, to share Christ's love and hope and peace with the world are the masterpiece or could be the masterpiece if they would only do its purpose. And the church of Laodicea was not fulfilling its purpose. It wasn't a place likened to a wonderfully hot water spring. It wasn't good for relaxing. It wasn't good for curing aches and pains, for relaxing, for washing or restoring like hot water is good for. It wasn't a place compared to wonderful cool springs, a place where you could find refreshment, enjoyment, a place of restoration from the toil of work. It was useless. It wasn't fulfilling its purpose. Maybe it didn't know its purpose. Maybe it had forgotten its purpose. Maybe it had forgotten what God had created it for and destined it for. And so what here at Glen Eden do we take from that? Are we constantly ensuring that we are collectively, as a community of believers, doing what we are created for? Are we playing our part where we are a place where people can come to for refuge, for curing of hurt and pain, 
where people are washed clean and restored? Are we a place where people can come and find refreshment, enjoyment, restoration from their toil of work? And I think as I look around during the week, I get to smile because I see the work we are doing. I see the work being done as we partner with Vision West, as we see the people coming in on a Wednesday for Takapu, the help that's provided, the restoring of people's humanity from a society that has dehumanized them. And I think, yes, we are doing what God would have us do. We've continued to see baptisms happening this year. I think seven already this year. Two more just two weeks ago. People are coming and being washed clean and being restored and finding purpose and hope. But we don't get to rest on that. We must keep going. We must keep finding Jesus and the next purpose. We don't get to leave the tasks that God has called the church to to a few. We don't get to leave Alpha to Simon. We don't get to leave feeding the hungry to Nettie and her team. We need to continue to do these tasks and then raise up the people, the next generation of people to continue the tasks and continue to hear God's voice and what he is calling us into. Because if we don't, if we just leave it to the few, we run the risk of falling out of our purpose of losing our purpose, because those people lose their energy, lose their hope. Maybe they move on. We don't want to become lukewarm because we rest on our laurels today. And so talk with Simon. Find out where you can be involved in meeting the community. Talk to our wonderful zone leaders and find out how you can be involved in life groups. Talk with our ministry leaders, the ones that serve where your passions lie. Get active, stay active, stay within God's purpose, stay hot and useful, or stay cold and useful, but don't allow yourself, don't allow the collective community here to become lukewarm. That was the danger that the Laodicean church didn't see coming, or they didn't change course when they were warned. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will be not shamed by your nakedness, and get ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference." We remember that Laodicea was the manufacturing place of the finest designer garments of the empire, yet Jesus refers to them as people who are naked and poor. They had relied for too long on what they could provide. They looked to society to fulfill their needs. They looked to society to give them their purpose, and Jesus saw them and said, this isn't what you're made for. This isn't the worth that you think it is. The city where people came to, to see eye doctors or to learn how to be eye doctors, the, the, the city where people came to have their sight restored was made up of people who Jesus called blind, who had lost their way because they got caught up in doing things their way. Jesus speaks into that, buy your clothing from me, allow me to cover you, to give you purpose, to take away your shame of the past, allow me to be your eye doctor to give you eyes to see what I want you to see, 
Not what, not what you think you need to see, what, what Jesus wants you to see. Allow him to fix your eyes on what is important. Buy garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Jesus continues to invite the church back to him. He doesn't stop inviting the church back to him. Why? Because he loves. Because he wants the church to serve his purpose. He wants the church to do what it was created for. He wants the church to be a masterpiece. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. He's bringing correction because he loves. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. We will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Jesus' invitation never leaves. Jesus is always standing right outside until you and until we let him in. And when we let him in, he will clothe us and he will help us see through his eyes. He gives us purpose. He gives us belonging. He gives us love. He gives us himself. And he asks us to allow him to continue to transform us, continue to empower us so that more people can find their purpose in him. So, Glennie, let's keep going together. Let's keep finding our hope in him together, being transformed by him together so he can collectively empower us to keep being the church that shares him, that points to him, that brings people to him so that they too can be transformed, so that they too can find family and purpose and love. Let's be a church that people come to, a church that is likened to a wonderful hot spring, good for relaxing, a place where you can be cured of your aches and pains, a place where there is cleansing, a place of restoration. Let's be a church that people can come to that is compared to the wonderful cool springs, a place where you can find refreshment in Him, enjoyment in Him, a place of restoring from the toil of work we can find in him. Let's be a church where people come to and find purpose, find hope, find life, find love. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org. Hope you have a great day.